Today and the next two Sundays, I want to tackle some tough questions because you need to be able to give an answer to these questions because you're the Lord's. I want us to look at the why questions that you hear all the time. And uh, in the next three Sundays, today and the two Sundays following, we're going to be answering them. For instance, why would God send someone to hell? Why would a loving God, is the way it's usually couched, uh, send someone to hell? And why did God even create hell? And why did God create two trees in the garden? Of course, there were many trees, but we're talking about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is a big question. Why did God even give Adam and Eve a choice? And that's a question that a lot of people have. Why? We just ask that over and over again in different ways. Now, in order to answer these questions, though, you need to understand that you can never answer a difficult question about God without making sure that your answer is congruent. That means that it lines up with his nature and his character. We know that his nature and his character uh, are revealed to us in Scripture. And the whole of Scripture, we need to understand this. You can't just take part of the Scripture. The context that we take every part of the Bible in is the context of the entire Bible. It is seamless from beginning to end. And we're going to see that today. Uh, but it's very important to understand this. It's the whole of Scripture, the entirety of it, because if you take a passage out of context of the entirety of the Bible, you can never completely understand it. If you try to answer difficult questions about God without taking into consideration His character, you might find yourself coming up with the wrong answer. You may have already uh, had people try to attack your faith by uh, taking a few verses or incidents in the Bible out of context and try to use them to instill distrust in God or just to attack Christianity as a whole, to rattle your faith. In fact, some of you may have had your faith shaken already and you may be on a little bit trembling ground. And one of the things that... Uh, can really uh, cause problems to us is when we, when we don't really think that God is good. Until you accept the fact that he is good and couch everything in that particular uh, uh, concept that it starts out that he is good. There's so many people that they have given their lives to him and they're trying to serve him but they still don't trust him. And if you're trying to serve him without trusting him, being leery of him, having questions about his goodness, you can't have faith because the heart of faith is trusting God. And so it begins there. Because of this, I want to help you to be prepared, first of all, in your own heart, and also be prepared to tell those people that are... Uh, uh, attacking your faith, help them to understand God better. Uh, God is a good God. 
And uh, we're going to take a look at some of his attributes today and in the next two Sundays. And the reason why is uh, when I read something in this book, and I might not understand it, it may sound like as I read it, I may kind of back up and think, you know, that sounds like God may be kind of harsh or cruel. And I always have to stay, or take a step back to consider that uh, I need to look at this in the light of all of God's word and have to look at it in light of his character. And I've studied the whole of scripture to know God's character. On top of that, I've experienced God's character. I know he's good. And so we have to answer difficult questions in light of God's character. It has to be congruent. It has to line up with his character, whatever answer we give. And the, uh, uh, it has to be compatible with scripture. So the first attribute, I want to go over three of them the next few Sundays. I was going to try to cover all three of them this Sunday, but y'all be getting out about 2.30 this afternoon <laughs> if I tried that. And this is Mother's Day. And so I've broken it down into three different uh, messages just to out of consideration for all of us this morning. So the three attributes of his character that we're going to be looking at today and the next Sundays are first of all, God is good. Next, God is just. And then third, God is love. So this first attribute, God is good. Uh, David, the psalmist, invites us, the man after God's own heart, the man who walked closely and knew God in such a wonderful way. In Psalm 34, 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. That's a testimony. Uh, that's a, he was in a bad spot at the time that he wrote that. And he knew that God was good, even when he was in tough spots. Again, in Psalm 119, David says this, and he's talking to God. And he says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statute. By the way, if you told yourself that, reminding yourself of that scripture every morning, it might change, it would change your day. And it can even change your life. Whenever, just remember that. You are good and you do good. That's God. He is good and he does good. Even when we look around and it looks like things aren't good at all. He is good and he does good. And that's one of the reasons why many times I'll just blurt out and say, God is good. And y'all say what? All the time. All the time. Yes, he is. He is. Now, listen to this. God isn't good because God does good. God does good because he is good. And uh, this is one of the things that the Lord tried to get across to us about our, our, our lives and our hearts, that it's out of the heart, out of our deepest character that our actions come forth. And when it comes to God, he doesn't, uh, he's not good because he does good. He does good because he is good. 
Now, I want to expand upon that. His being good isn't depending on his doing good. He does good because he is good. It's like God is truth. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, I know the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the truth. And so because God is truth, he cannot lie. And this is a great problem with both most people's uh, demonstra- or, uh, their definition of the sovereignty of God. And we've been looking at some of the problems that could come out uh, whenever you handle the sovereignty of God wrongly in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, this is what the sovereignty, they, well, they want to say, it means that God could do anything he wants to do. That's the sovereignty of God. Well, what it does mean is to be sovereign means he is the supreme ruler of the universe. And some people would say, well, then God can do anything he wants because he's the supreme ruler. And uh, he can't. There's some things God cannot do. Did you know that? He can't do things because of his character. He would never do certain things because of his character. God is truth. And so he cannot lie. A lie cannot come out of truth. The Bible says that. It says he's not a man that he should lie. And uh, it's the same way. You know, God is love. And uh, because of that, everything I read in Scripture, I have to put in the framework of how does this fit with the basic premise that God is good. He is good. His goodness makes his love the best kind of love. It's not going to be a tainted or a twisted love. His love is pure and good. And so we can trust his love. Some people are afraid to let God love them because they're afraid of what he might have to do or do to them. He's not going to do anything bad to you. Now, here's something about how good God is. Moses asked God to show him his glory. And uh, a practical definition of glory is what you're famous for, what, uh, what you're known for. And so Moses, when he said, show me your glory, he was saying, show me what you're famous for, where you shine. Show me that. And uh, here's the passage that that's found in. It's in Exodus, the 33rd Uh, chapter 18th and 19th verses. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He says, my glory is my goodness. Have you ever noticed that? My glory is my goodness. That's what I'm famous for is being good. Okay, so because I know that God is good, anything I read in the Bible has to line up with the goodness of God. But then this is what happens. We read something in the Bible and we think, man, that sounds like God's being mean. You know, this is... uh, uh, well, let's see. Before I give you an example from Scripture, this is Mother's Day. And uh, I just want to pause and ask you to look back on your own life. And uh, 
ask you if you can you remember a time when you thought your mother was being mean, but now that you're grown, you realize that what she did was for your good. Can any of y'all uh, uh, relate to that? You know, uh, you know, don't don't drink, cuss, smoke. You'll say, don't drink, cuss, don't drink, cuss. I can't remember the third one. Fun or chew. No, oh, don't drink, cuss, dip or chew, and don't date girls that do. You know? Yeah. That's some of the advice that you might get from a mother. Uh, there are other ways that she warned you, or that, uh, anyway, I won't go into all of but there may be times when you were grounded for something. Oh, that's just horrible. Just horrible. And there was a life lesson to be learned from that. Well, sometimes it seems like what God's doing is just horrible, but really it's the best thing in the world for his children. So uh, here's a, an example from the Bible that is used many times to question God's goodness. And it's one of the most serious ones that we come across. And so I'm just going to drill in on this today. When Adam and Eve sinned, God drove them out of the garden. And when he did, he gave a reason why he drove them out. But when you understand that he's good and really consider this, you begin to understand why he drove them out. And this is in Genesis 3, 22 and 24, where we read all this. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. And that us is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're talking among themselves. What are we going to do about this? They become like one of us, knowing to, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then there's just like a dot, dot, dot after that. And then it's followed by, Therefore the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim. Those are huge, monstrous angels. Uh, they are something to behold, I'm sure. But so to guard to cherubim uh, to the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way. And notice this, nothing's even holding this sword. And it goes north, east, south, west. I mean, it can guard everything around it, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, here's his explanation. Now, lest he put his hand out and also take and, and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Notice, as I said, pointed out, the sentence stops there, even though it's not a complete sentence. Now watch, and it's very important why I'm telling you this. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden uh, to till the ground from, from which he was taken. So he drove them out. He placed cherubim at uh, the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God said, okay, man has become like one of us, and now he knows good and evil. We better drive him out of the garden, lest he take from the tree of life and live forever. 
And uh, then it doesn't go on. Lest he take from the tree of life and live forever. So here's what it means. And when you look at the Bible as a whole, you can see this clearly. Many people have said, see, that just shows that God was mad at Adam and Eve. And in his anger, he just drove them out. That's what they think. And they'll look at that and they'll show you just how bad God can be and how angry he can get, how he can be an abusive father. So, uh, but that's, that's not so. And we know it's not so because God's good. Here's why he was saying it. He said, now, Adam and Eve are in a fallen state. They are now separated from me. And if they eat from the tree of life now, they will live forever in a fallen state, separated from me. Get them out right now and put a flaming sword down there so that they can't eat from the tree uh, in a fallen state because then they'll live forever separated from us. Live forever separated from us. Does that sound familiar? To many people, that's their definition of hell. Many theologians uh, say that's the worst part of hell is spending an eternity separated from the presence of God. Well, we've, we're, we've spent the last two weeks learning that God wants everyone in heaven. And uh, you have a choice as to where you're going to spend eternity and how you're going to spend eternity. And it all began with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve put all mankind in a fallen state. But God has made a way for us all to be redeemed. Your sins uh, have now all been paid for. And all that's left for you to do is to believe and receive. Believe what God did for you and call on the name of the Lord. And his name is Jesus. Call on his name. Do you see that? This is God's goodness. This isn't his anger and being mean. But you don't pick up on that if you don't have it rooted in your heart that God's a good God. By the way, there are three scriptures in Revelation that tell us that the tree of life is in heaven now and you can eat from it all you want because you're now in a redeemed state. And he's fine with that. He's fine for you to eat from that tree of life in a redeemed state. In fact, Revelation 2.7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In the book of Hebrews, Paul goes through a long list of Old Testament uh, uh, characters, people who lived and died in faith, trusting God before the coming of Jesus and what God did in Christ on the cross. And he concludes this hero's hall of faith in the old, from the Old Testament with these words. And these words are found in Hebrews 11, 39, and 40. And all these, Abraham, Enoch, all of these, all of these back before, Abel, Adam and Eve's son, all of these way, way back to the very beginning 
having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, God wants the best for all of us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us, that they should not be made perfect. What he's talking about is our salvation, our being perfected in our love and our relationship with God. You see, God gave all those who lived before Jesus uh, uh, an opportunity to believe in him, to receive the gospel uh, and to spend eternity in heaven, the same as us. At the time of the cross, while Jesus was in the tomb, we read that he went back and he preached to those in show. Adam and Eve were at that time in show. So uh, Peter makes this just as plain as it can be. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, as Adam and Eve are being cast out of the garden, we hear the first promise of our Savior. And that promise was given to Adam and Eve. In uh, Genesis 3.15, we read these words. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, or let's see, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now see, God would have been entirely just to separate himself from Adam and Eve forever and subject them only to his wrath from that point on. But that's not what happened, is it? You know why? Because God is good. That's not what happened. Rather, the Lord promised to solve the problem that Adam and Eve had brought upon the face of this world. To solve the problem of sin, death, and Satan. He promised that a descendant of Eve would deliver a crushing blow to the evil one. That is the first proclaiming of the gospel. It happened back there in the Garden of Eden to our uh, first people, to our forebears, to our multiple greats, grandmother and grandfather. When Jesus showed up in show and preached to them, you see, Adam and Eve were given the opportunity to choose where they would spend eternity just like everyone else. He just didn't want them to spend eternity separated from him. He gave them a choice. God is good. All the time. But he doesn't want you to eat from the tree of life in a fallen state. He doesn't want you to stay fallen. And he has made a way for you to be restored, for all of us to be restored. He's already paid the price so that now you, just like Adam and Eve, now have a choice where you will spend eternity and how you will spend eternity. And this is because God is good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.